Hello, my friends. Welcome back to Rainbow Parenting, a queer and gender affirming podcast for parents and educators and anyone with littles in their lives. I am your host, Linz Amer. Today, I am so I'm excited for every conversation that I get to have on this podcast. But this one is particularly awesome because I am talking to one fifth of the Team Two Moms family. I'm talking to Ebony from Team Two Moms. These are some folks who I have been watching for a very long time. I first was aware of their work when I was on YouTube and they were on YouTube and just doing really beautiful, joyful content with their family. So I am really excited to bring you this conversation with Ebony about their really beautiful queer family. So you can listen to me and Ebony chat about all things (laughs) internet and being a creator and putting your kids in front of a camera and having conversations about sexuality and gender and building a queer family. There's lots and lots of really beautiful stuff in there. I was so glad that they said yes to having this conversation with me. Before we get to my conversation with Ebony, got a couple of things of business on the docket for you today. As you already know, we have our Queer Teachers Rock Conference coming up later next week. I am so excited. It's going to be October 20th, 21st, and 22nd. We have a beautiful lineup. Key Gross from Will Kindergarten is doing our keynote. We've got Tall Poppy doing a cybersecurity workshop for educators that I think is just going to be chock full of really, really important information. We really got to stay safe out there, especially online. So please, please sign up. You can sign up for the full conference or you can sign up for individual events. We have a sliding scale option. So hopefully it can be affordable for anyone who wants to join in on the conference. We've got lots of other cool workshops. So you can check out our website and find the link over there to the Eventbrite. The event is called Queer Teachers Rock. It's for and by queer and trans educators. Allies are more than welcome. We just ask that you work to decenter yourself and let this be a safe space for queer and trans educators um, because it's rough out there right now, <laughs> as I'm sure you all are aware. So Queer Teachers Rock, please, please come and hang out with the conference. It's our first time doing this and doing really dedicated educator-focused services and content and workshops. So I'm I'm really stoked for it, and I'm really excited to share a little bit of virtual space with our beloved queer and trans educators. Please go check that out. Check out the sliding scale options. See if you're available for it on your schedule. Come to the whole conference. Come to a couple of the workshops or panels that we're doing, and uh, I hope to see you there. We're also doing something very special for our patrons this month. We're throwing a Halloween party. We do regular monthly book club meetups now, and this is going to be our book club meeting for October because Halloween is a gay Christmas. (laughs) So please put on you and your kiddos, grab your kiddos and put on some costumes, and we're going to read a cute little queer Halloween book, and we're going to share what we're being for Halloween, and we're probably going to sing some songs. We're going to have a good time. So that's for patrons. If you head over to the Queer Kid Stuff Patreon page, you can sign up for $5 a month or $50 for the full year. And that helps us. It goes directly to all of our programming and paying our staff and just letting us continue doing all this cool stuff that I think that maybe you like if you're here and listening to this. 
So that's the business for today. And let's get to my conversation with Ebony from Team Two Moms. Oh my gosh, I am so, so excited to talk to this week's guest. Hello, Ebony. Welcome to Rainbow Parenting. Thank you so much, Lynn, for having me. I'm so excited to be on this. Oh my gosh, of course. I have been a big fan of you and your work and your family for a long time. And I'm just I'm just so excited that we got to chat. But before we get into all of the things, can you tell us uh, who you are and your pronouns and how you identify? Absolutely. I'm Ebony. I like to say I'm one-fifth of Team Two Moms. Um, my pronouns are she, her. I am a mom of three, a wife of 16 years, and yeah, I share my life online. Ugh, beautiful. And I like to come to this podcast and the work around queerness and kids and families as like a whole person <laughs> um, mm-hmm. outside of the work as well. So how are you doing today? I am doing great. Today was definitely a hectic day. You know, getting three kids ready for school in the morning is always fun and interesting. And we have a lot of things going on in our home right now. So uh, as far as construction wise, so yes, I'm doing okay. I'm learning how to just Hmm. breathe in, breathe out and take each day and moment at a time. Oh my gosh. Yeah. With a big family and like figuring out your day-to-day life and like also with the content creation, I'm sure it's a lot of very beautiful chaos. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) My uh, my wife wanted me to mention that she is an older sister of two boy twins. And uh, I hear lots and lots of stories of how chaotic her family was when she was little. We need to pencil some tips for her and Olivia (laughs) to share with Olivia because I don't know. Sometimes she the best big sister, but she also needs her time. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's definitely the theme of a lot of those conversations for sure. (laughs) Okay, so we're chatting about your family. I absolutely love watching your family grow and like seeing your family all over the internet. I kind of came upon you all right at the beginning of Queer Kids Stuff when I was first starting making queer content for kids. And you all were big in the YouTube space. And now you've completely blown up on TikTok, which is very cool and like wild. And I'm seeing a lot of parallels from the YouTube space in the TikTok space, especially around queerness and families. And so I want to talk about that. But first, I want to talk a little bit about kind of the origin of your family story and just uh, maybe like pushing the internet stuff away for just a second, although I'm sure they're very Mm -hmm. intertwined. But I would love to talk about, I mean, you've been married for 16 years, and then you and your wife, Denise, have been growing your family ever since. So can you just like walk me through that a little bit so our listeners can get a feel for you and your family's story? (laughs) No, absolutely. So we've actually been together for a total of 16 years and married for 12 years. We met on a platform called MySpace. I feel Mm -hmm. like I'm aging myself. I don't know if people still even know (laughs) what that is. But, um, you know, my wife sent me a message. Can we be friends? And it's crazy how literally one sentence, X amount of words that now is where we are 16 years later. We got married in 2010. At the time, marriage wasn't legalized federally. So we went to Connecticut to get our license, but we celebrated it in New York. And then literally maybe 
a week after we got married, I had the strong baby bug. I was like, I really want to experience, you know, bringing life into this world. And at that time, <laughs> we had no idea how to start. It really wasn't much representation. Some yeah. families like ours, like we had absolutely no idea. So I just went back to like my basic fundamentals of like my physician. Like that's where I should be able to like find out all the information that I need. And indeed that was true. I started on the journey of trying to conceive, you know, luckily for me, it took the first try um, of something that was completely unknown to us. Mm. And then, you know, we had our daughter, Olivia, fast forward a little bit. My wife was always somebody who was very adamant that she didn't want to experience being pregnant up until Olivia was born and mm. then she got the baby bug. But I mean, that bug came about five years later, but she got the bug and then we embarked on the same journey again. She, you know, went through seven tries of trying to conceive and, you know, it was something that definitely brought us closer together. Um, and what kind of like crazy, like how everything is supposed to happen when it's supposed to happen. Like I'm mm -hmm. a firm believer of that. She on the seventh try turned to me and said, look, this is my last time. My body can't do this no more. Mm -hmm. I am done after this. It wasn't meant to be. And that's when we got our twin boys. And so um, we come from a multicultural family. My family is from Central America and Belize. You know, my wife is um, Puerto Rican. So we're like, mer we've been merging our families over the years and different cultures. So our children are so enriched with culture mm. overall. And we are so lucky to say we have such a strong foundation and support, especially from our mothers. And our parenting style is very much so reflective of our moms and how our moms raised us. Ugh, what a beautiful, beautiful story. I mean, this is all starting pre-marriage equality before having all of these resources that we have now. I mean, I think we're still wanting for a lot more around right. queer families and trans families and fertility and family mm -hmm. building and planning, but we're starting to have more resources now. But, you know, you all having to kind of figure that out on your own and build your family in the way that made sense to you with the information that you had. And I think that that's really, really beautiful. And then you made the other big decision of sharing your family with the world. So tell me a little bit about like the trajectory of that and what went into that decision. That was very accidental. <laughs> <laughs> no plans, no blueprints for that. Honestly, our first video, my wife was always into social media because she worked a night shift. So she needed something mm, to keep mm -hmm. her up, right? Yep. And so that's when she started to discover other families that look like our family. Or at the time I was actually pregnant. So she was definitely very curious to find families that would eventually look like our family. So the nice side of the internet is the, the nice community side. building, right? Correct. <laughs> the community building, indeed. We did not make our first video until 2012 when former President Barack Obama was reelected. And during that reelection, he became the first president to publicly support the LGBTQ plus community. So mm -hmm. we were just so like, you know, I just gave birth. I'm having a baby. That was like huge, especially for families like ours on what that can look like. And that being the marker of starting to finally put things in place and equality in place for our families like ours. So we just made a video about that. I was just like, oh my gosh, the president. However, when we made the video, our daughter was sitting on our laps 
And mm. maybe I, I sometimes I say maybe we lived in a bubble because we were surrounded by so much support. But when we uploaded that video, the amount of feedback of the curiosity, both good and bad mm-hmm. about how she's our daughter. You're both two women. I don't think at that time when we uploaded that we realized that that there's many parts of the world that's never seen families like mm. ours. Yeah. And that's how it all started. We just yeah. started by simply just sharing our family before having specific conversations mm-hmm. and through that, trying to educate and teach and educate and educate some more about how families like ours are formed. Yeah. Wow. I think that that origin story of like the content creation of it all is really interesting because you made something and then you saw a gap in knowledge just from the reaction to the video mm-hmm. made because you were talking about politics and like a big mm-hmm. thing and like just it was just happened to be how your family was perceived in that moment that you were on camera that sparked a little bit of a nerve in some people, which is what mm-hmm. I experienced too with queer kid stuff. I was just like, I'm going to make this fun little show for kids about what gay means. And then people were big mad about it. And it sounds like you had a little bit of a similar kind of Mm -hmm. experience when you initially started making stuff. So moving past that a little bit, I think that something that I see in your work that I love and that I see parallel in mine is this very like purposeful decision to showcase the joy of your family life. And education comes in with that. And I think that that's also purposeful too. But I'm, I'm so curious about where that comes from and like why you made that decision to talk about like kind of the joyful side of things and emphasize that. And I think something I've been seeing around um, writing about your work is uh, the idea of normalizing kind of LGBTQ plus families. So I'd mm-hmm. love for you to just kind of speak to that and and how how that mission kind of like came about in your work, if that was an evolution, if that was kind of something you started from the get go. Yeah. The word normal really bothers me mm-hmm. <laughs> like, because there truly is not a definition of what normal is. So it's like, what's the point of the word, right? So through our content, though there is definitely intent and it's purposeful content, it still is just us and just these snippet moments in our lives. Mm -hmm. And it's meant to make like, (laughs) there's a, a clip of Olivia that we had recently just posted that was like five, six years ago, where she said, hey, guys, we're YouTubers. We're YouTubers to make people happy. Mm. We just want to make people happy. And so honestly, the purpose is just to instill a bit of joy into people or, or something positive, because especially in today's time, the Internet is really oversaturated with things that are completely the opposite of that. And yeah. so not to say that every day is happy in our household. It is just those are the moments that we choose to put into the atmosphere, to put into the universe for people to just feel joy and to feel positive energy and to maybe look at things from a half full versus half empty and like just trying to instill that into the universe. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm really curious how the like focus on joy and the focus on kind of like bringing happiness also translates into like your daily life. Because, you know, social media is a highlight reel, right? So I want to know a little bit beyond that, right? Of like, how does that influence your day to day and with your kids and like growing as a family, just like away from the internet? So like, what's, what's it like to be on the inside a little bit? You know, 
sometimes people distinguish it as if it's like two separate worlds, mm-hmm. but it really truly is not two separate worlds for us. Those moments that you're seeing is actually the moments of how we are in our everyday life. Maybe Denise and I, because within our degrees, we, we're a little bit more equipped in like how we handle situations mm. when it comes to like things like maybe that's bothering our children and how we approach it and how we respond to it almost like on a therapist level because we have mm. a science background. But, you know, other than that, it truly is not two distinguishedly different worlds. It is the same world, whether the camera is off or not. I think the only part that people don't get is maybe those meltdowns my children may have (laughs) at times or when we may need to discipline our children because I always create content that if it's tomorrow, five years or 10 years from now, our children won't look back and be like, Mm. mommy, mama, why did you post that? They don't got to know that I wet my bed. Like, you know, like stuff like that. So that is the only thing that I literally absorb out of our content is things that Mm. my children right now can't really truly say and give me permission to share. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And I think the the question around like kids and social media and consent is like a thing that people are really talking about a lot right now, too. I'm sure you have a lot of opinions. (laughs) Some things I see, I'm like, (laughs) but luckily, a lot of platforms are also, especially um, YouTube, are honing down on like Mm -hmm. putting things in place to protect children more online. So, yeah, yeah, I agree. I've been seeing that too, which has definitely been good. And I do think that like your ability to integrate the content you do and like also your daily life and like the fact that they're all the same thing, I think isn't necessarily true for all content creators and really speaks to the way that you all approach your family and approach the way you want to share your family with the world. So I really do like commend you on that because I think that that is like actually really difficult to balance. And I think you've just like found like struck a really beautiful chord with it. So like kudos on that. (laughs) Not an easy thing to achieve by any means. Um, so a little bit, let's let's dive into a little bit of like the educational side of it, because like it's all fun and games and like have doing like TikTok trends and dances and stuff. But like also you educate and like you were saying, like you have a background. No, you educate. Okay. <laughs> I try. Let's, let's pause for you right now. I know I'm the guest, but mm, you educate and you educate very, very well. But go ahead. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. I, I do my best. Um but like th- that's that is a hard side of all of this because yeah. one that's where you probably get the most flack, right? Mm-hmm. Online. Mm-hmm. And then and I mean at least personally for me and my experience the platforms are not particularly supportive of all of that. I think it's hard to find the right tone, right? And like find the right angle and like way to talk about things like what queer family is, what gender is, what sexuality is within a family and kids space that feels, I don't know, I hate the word appropriate, but like that the other people like perceive as appropriate, right? Is more about. So I'm curious about like how you approach that side of your content. And then we'll separately talk about how you kind of approach it with your kids too. Okay. So when it comes to things that I want to talk about with my children, especially we are it, right? Mm-hmm. We are talking about my daughter. We're talking about your moms, you, you're as a sister, as a brother, like mm-hmm. this is us, right? Mm-hmm. So if I show a slight bit of, oh, is this appropriate? Is this not appropriate? What am I, what message am I sending to my children about the overall structure of our family, right? Mm-hmm. I want her and the boys to feel like 
this is right. The things we talk about are appropriate. So that's exactly how I approach it on my channel. If you don't like it, it's okay. Then we're not the channel for you versus the over other mass of people who are accepted are like, oh, great. I know how to explain this to my family, whether they are a part of the community or not, because all children should know about the differences of all different types of families. Right. So, you know, whether you're a parent or not, we know words and so forth that are appropriate. We don't curse on our channel. We don't use mm-hmm. profanity. We don't do things like that. So at the end of the day, all we're doing is just talking about ourselves. And if we're promoting, there's nothing wrong with who we are and how our family formed and that your moms are lesbians and that you have two moms or you have a gay uncle. Like that the way we put it out and the way it is, it's appropriate because we're appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that that is a absolutely perfect way to frame that of like, this isn't even educational content. This isn't even something that like has an a quote unquote agenda or something I'm like trying to put onto my channel. This is so personal and this is my experience and I want to share that and it becomes educational because of the way you're packaging it sometimes. But like, it's about you and who you are and just wanting to share that with the world. Yeah, it doesn't have like an ulterior motive to it. Motive, correct. You know, it's not like a, a movie where it's like if it's a GPG rated. It, this is who we are. We yeah. Talk about it. And like you said, sometimes the way we package it comes off more structural, like specifically about a specific topic. Like your moms are lesbians and I'm talking to Olivia about that or something, but I don't find it inappropriate. At yeah. all, but but I'm sure you can relate that there are some people in this world that feels as though you know yeah. even saying the word lesbian. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, and we'll we'll touch on that a little bit. But first, I want to talk about um, just kind of like in your family how you've approached queerness and gender with your kids and like how you've raised them. And like, I mean, obviously you are a queer family, so they're going to be raised like understanding what queer families look like. But I'm curious, like even within queer families to ask this question because we all grew up in a cis-normative, heteronormative world. And Mm -hmm. so as queer families, as queer people, we're trying to disrupt that with our kids, right? I think. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm curious, like, how you've approached gender and sexuality with your kids in your home. Um, That's a really good question. I don't have a finessed approach, right? That is okay. There's room to be messy. Yeah. You know, like I, I I don't, I'm, I'm very, you know, and and maybe now the culture side, like how I was raised with my mom and Mm -hmm. my grandmother, like, we're just very like, this is how it is. Mm -hmm. Um, not so much sugarcoating and so forth like that. We, when we're ready to tell like Olivia, like for example, when we explain to Olivia about what a donor is, and that mm. they're donor siblings and all that. That's a lot for a kid to have to take in, right? Yeah. So my approach is just chopping it up and just mm-hmm. figuring out when is the best time to explain certain things. And I'm only saying Olivia right now because the boys are only five. So mm-hmm. we still have a lot more nurturing and teaching for them to understand things. But Olivia is now at the age where we're able to have these really free-forming conversations. And what I see that it's two ways. She's really articulate and she mm-hmm. really does not hold back. And she'll let us know like whether it's something in her day at school. And this mm-hmm. is not even only relating to us being a queer family, but because of how direct and upfront I am with Olivia is how she is with us. And I absolutely 
We love that. Like we have this forum where we can talk about anything. So I I can't say I have like this really like packaged approach. So I don't give myself that much credit. <laughs> no, and, and that's okay. And I think everyone approaches it in a different way and everyone yeah. figures out how to build those relationships within their family in a, yeah. with a in their own way. And I think cultural context is really important there too. Like I grew up Jewish and like there's a lot of like Jewish values that like I picked up that like I didn't necessarily realize were part of that culture until I was older and started to be able to identify that and be like, oh, Jews build mutual aid into different like uh-huh. points in like our lives. Um, I'm curious because I think that like particularly like straight cisgender families don't always understand how to build that like trusting relationship where kids can come to you like you're talking about Olivia and you having conversations about donor siblings and how your queer family functions and also like your intersectionalities and multiple marginalized identities and as an interracial couple as well as a lesbian couple so (laughs) I'm I'm just I'm just really curious and and maybe a lot of it's unconscious and that's maybe why some of it's hard to unpack. I think that's what it is. I think you mm-hmm. nailed it. Sometimes I don't even realize that we're having a conversation that's like, it wasn't meant to happen, but it happened. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like you have those moments as well, whether it's something she saw on TV and like, oh, okay, I'm up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, let me have this conversation right now. You mm-hmm. know, so honestly with Olivia, it, I'm learning through her. Mm. Right. She's our first baby. So I, it's it's trial and error with her. And hopefully we'll have it more packaged with her brothers. But um, being on social media does help a lot with having mm. conversations because it's a part of the content as well. So, yeah. Talk to me more about that. Is it is it like about having an audience that kind of like forces you to have those like conversations in front of I mean, in front of an audience, right? But like, also, it's just your camera, and like, you're just sharing again your family with the world. Mm-hmm. So, I'm I'm curious what it is about like that part that like influences how you communicate within your family too. You know, it's you know, you ever hear like you know with parents like there's sometimes they're like, I want my kid to have their first drink in the house with me. Like, I want to be there and I want to be supervised with them. I don't want them to go out in the street and learn something or do something out there. So I see comments and I see feedback mm-hmm. and I know Olivia can read and she has mm-hmm. access to social media. So when I see things, they're like my little flags of like start having these conversations now with her, especially at the age and like, you know, the kids know they see her on TikTok and so forth. It's it's almost like kind of pushes you mm-hmm. to like have conversations, make her equipped her or if she has questions about anything or to open that that path for her to mm-hmm. know that she can have conversations if, if her friends in school is asking her things because they may have saw this video we did or we talked about this or, you know, so it's just, it's sometimes just reactive of just making sure like, okay, we have the moment to talk to her about certain things first. Mm, that's so interesting because what, what I think you're describing is, is teaching your daughter leadership skills. Oh, that too. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Cause like she's, she's a role model. I mean, like oh. she has, I mean, she has a platform because you all have a platform and like platforms are a big responsibility. And for a kid like Olivia, like that is a lot. And I think that it's so interesting to hear how you're handling it and how you're learning, using it as a learning opportunity for her, mm-hmm. but also for yourselves and mm-hmm. how, 
And and I think that like we talk about childism a lot um, mm-hmm. on this podcast mm-hmm. and like the fact that kids are a vulnerable, marginalized group kind of unto themselves and that like kids deserve respect because they're full human beings on their own. And it's so clear to me that like you treat Olivia and uh, I'm also assuming the twins as like mm-hmm. full humans unto themselves with objectives and wants and needs and desires of their own. And I love the like feedback loop of like you teaching Olivia and Olivia teaching you. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, um, is there anything like fun and cool that Olivia has taught you recently that you'd like to share? <laughs> <laughs> Olivia is a fidget queen. Okay. Her mm-hmm. collection is out of this world right now. So I thought fidget was like one type of thing. And I didn't realize that there are an array of different things that fall in the category of fidget collecting. So, yeah, she has taught me about her fidget collection. (laughs) Amazing. I love that. Um, And then I do want to quickly kind of like talk about the the kind of crummy side of of this stuff. You know, I've been through it. I'm sure you've been through it just like caveat is that it all sucks. Um, And I'm curious how when you've um, kind of approached that with your family and like what your philosophy on that is. And I've been really noticing some interesting patterns Mm -hmm. that have started to come up because I started Queer Kid Stuff in 2016, Mm -hmm. right when like Trump was first getting elected in the primaries. And that was quite a time to be coming up on YouTube. And I'm starting to see First of all, like a lot of like the YouTube patterns kind of coming up on TikTok right now. And then like also the bad things that happened on YouTube kind of moving over to TikTok too. And I'm I'm curious about because you've been a lot more active. I've kind of been off of YouTube and on and for different reasons. But I'm I'm really curious about kind of what you're seeing in the social media landscape, especially when it comes to kind of like, I mean, the don't say gay, the anti-trans bills, all of the politics that's happening right now. And I know you're not like a political channel, but you have to be because it's your life. (laughs) And yeah, that was a very nebulous question, but I'm curious about your thoughts on all of that. No, no, no. Okay. One of the number one things that we since the moment we started social media is we never comment to negative energy. Mm. I don't have a back and forth. Our content is not meant to change people's opinions. All I'm asking for is respect. I can respect you have your values and what you believe in, just respect ours. And so I don't give into the negative energy and we never have, literally we've never Mm. responded to a negative comment. It really helps with my mental health and my mm-hmm. my spiritual being to mm-hmm. just not get myself into the negative energy. Because I now have a true understanding that people have the way they think and feel and therefore that is them and it's okay. And then you have those who would say, people who spend time on the internet just spewing negative energies probably because something in their life is not making them happy. And so they have to project that energy onto others. But mm-hmm. through obviously through a lot of features that we have on these platforms, you're able to block a lot of things, mm-hmm. block, 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 mm-hmm. block accounts. I've become so much more liberal with the block button. <laughs> and sometimes I don't even waste my time with blocking because, you know, for you know that they can start another account and it's just like, it's all right. And we have such a supportive community as well. 
sometimes they'll take they'll take on the negative energies that they may see under mm-hmm. our videos. I mean, we have a very strong village. Like they said, mm. it takes a village to raise your children. We have our village. But the way we do respond, if it's something mm. like really like, mm, we do it through our content and we'll still mm. do it in the authentic style and way of how we always project our content. But mm-hmm. that's my take on it. I don't have time for the negative energy. No, I agree. I I always approach it through the content. And I think I've probably talked about this on the podcast before, but I I take a lot of inspiration from Mr. Rogers and something I think that he was so good at that. Mm -hmm. I think he was so, so good at that. And the episode that I go back to and think about constantly is um, when he brought out a little kiddie pool in his front yard on the show and he brought out the police officer um, who was played by a black man, Francois Clemens, Mm -hmm. and they shared a foot bath in his front lawn. And this was at the time of Jim Crow laws where there was segregation at um, public swimming pools. So he was directly commenting on Jim Crow laws at the time, but he was doing it through a way that was like so subversive, but was on a kid's show. And I love that approach. And I think that it's so timely in content for kids and families. And you can get so creative with it without like actively engaging with like the terrible thing, things, comments, whatever that's happening. And I love that that's your approach as well. Mm-hmm. You said that you've experienced it too as well, but your face went in a certain way or else I was like, <laughs> all right, Lynn, we're going to turn this back to you. Like, I want to know how, how you approach it and, and, and how are you doing? Cause your content mm. is needed. Okay? Oh, well, thank you. Needed. I appreciate that interviewing me on my own podcast. (laughs) I'm talking to a content creator. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's I've had an interesting journey with it. So I I started Queer Kids Stuff in 2016, which was like, maybe two years after I graduated college. So Queer Kids Stuff was really like the first project I did out of college. Like, baby. I was like 23, 24. Didn't know what I was doing. Didn't have a single block word on my filter list on YouTube. Just kind of like had the comment sections fully open, had all of my notifications on for the comments. And I just kind of put it up on the internet. I was like, I think something, I think people are going to be into this, but like, I don't really know what the reaction is going to be. I'd never had anything like go viral before. And I mean, that was also when like viral was a little bit more (laughs) of a new thing. Uh And I, the people started liking the show and sharing it. And it got up to like a thousand views in the first week. And I was like, oh, that's cool. That was the goal that I had. And then it started getting picked up by different publications and it got written up by the Huff Post. And then the Daily Stormer picked up that article. So I my very first wave of internet harassment was like a bunch of neo-Nazis, like thousands oh. of neo-Nazis getting sicked on my content. And then um had to take like a full on break and like deal with that and like I'm the anti-semitism of it all like someone tweeted a noose at me for the first time like just not cute um and then I kind of figured out making the first season and that was literally when Trump was getting elected so I got on the radar of all the like Mm -hmm. Mm anti-feminists and I was a small channel like I had just started I didn't have any money any kind of backing people didn't really know me they like knew the mission and like saw the pilot and were like this is cool but my 
YouTube channel is still at like 25,000 subscribers, but like 4 million views. So like the analytics are a little funny. And you know, I was like a kid basically still. Like I hadn't like worked through a lot of that stuff. There was a lot of imposter syndrome. I had like a pretty good therapist at the time, but like it was traumatic and seeing a lot of the reaction videos and people just like calling me horrific names and putting like cartoons on my videos and stealing my content and re-uploading. I'm sure you've encountered these before. And I recently just like did a YouTube search for queer kid stuff and most of those videos still exist and are up on the platform. And and it's interesting. I just made my um TikTok account private. I was like kind of playing around with the platform a little bit. And Libs of TikTok has already found my channel or whatever you call it on TikTok. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I shut it down. I put it private because I was like, I don't want to re-traumatize myself, right? Because like, I think I have like actual real trauma from that time in my life, yeah. especially because I was young and it was a very formative experience with the internet. And uh, I I'm doing a lot better <laughs> and you're still making the content and because I think like I know like I love having conversation with people and I know this is an interview for me but I also like to like learn things from other people too and yeah I and I'm like also fangirling inside because I even <laughs> want to know like how should I be explaining things or like you know no, like yeah. you know, to my children and so forth like we were I would love to know and get some like, and use this as an opportunity to get some pearls of wisdom from you as well when uh, you I'll do are, my best <laughs> when you are at, no seriously when you are you know thinking of the topics you want to discuss when it relates to gender sexuality mm-hmm. and you're putting it into the format for children what is your way of doing it like what are your tactics what how do you approach it yeah um so my background's in theater for young audiences that's kind of like where everything started for me in like developing plays and and working with kids in like theater and education and like digital media kind of came later um but my professor in like a playwriting for young audiences class talked about um, writing for kids from under the doorknob. And mm-hmm. it's all just like about getting down to the ground and like looking back up at the world through young eyes, through eyes that don't have as much lived experience as, as us. And that's what I like to say is like a really like the biggest difference between adults and kids is like just like lived experience and we come at ideas around sexuality and gender and family and social justice and all this stuff and equality with like all of this baggage from like how we've experienced the world and how we've moved through the world with all of our different marginalizations and intersectional identities so i'll like take a look at like a a topic and that depends on like how far i was in the series (laughs) and like what's going on in the world and what i want to kind of approach. And I just really try and look at it like, how can I simplify this down to like the core ideas of what this topic is? And that like, is how you can approach something as complex as intersectionality in a way that like a five-year-old can understand it. Because I have these different like building blocks of identity that make up who I am. What if we took all those building blocks and made them into a tower and like that's intersectional identity. Like it's all those things stacked together that influence like how you are moved through the world and is like, okay, if like that 
block tower is like precarious, like it's more easily toppled by different forces. And I work a lot with metaphor. That's like something I'm a very visual person. And that's just kind of like mm-hmm. how I express myself yes. creatively. And so I use a lot of metaphor. And it's really, really just like about remembering, okay, like, what is something that a kid can latch on to? Like the idea of fairness, trust, Mm -hmm. love, like, and like using visual vocabulary, like my, I mean, Teddy's right behind me here. So like my stuffed teddy bear from like my childhood was like a perfect co-host when I was first starting the series. And so it's really just about using like the visual and conceptual language that kids can Mm -hmm. grasp. And Mm -hmm. I mean, like, that's what Pixar does. That's what Disney does. They like to look at these like universal core truths of like human experience. And Mm -hmm. they say like, how can I make this interesting and dynamic and really like tap into something like so specific and Mm -hmm. so personal in order to get these ideas across. And like, it's all about empathy in the end and like personhood and who we are. So that wasn't like a specific answer to like how I approach gender, but that's like my general philosophy of like, yeah. I love your philosophy. Well, thanks. Especially (laughs) with my audience here, that's because we, you know, a lot of people do access for our advice and, you Mm -hmm. know, every conversation is very different. And it's like, I don't have this, you know, specific approach and we are even though we're the we're the content creators mm-hmm. we are still parents that are learning yeah. we are just learning so i just you know speaking to another creator who you know do it so well and explains things so well for our youth and, and our children you know my audience is listening to this listen to the words of lynn like oh. This is exactly, I love your philosophy. Well, thank you. And if people want more nuggets about that, I've got, I just wrote a book and it's going to come out in um, May. So, book. Yeah. You have our support. support Oh, well, thank you. And this podcast is an extension of that. And like talking to folks like you, talking to other like queer families and makers and experts in the field, like that's what I've been loving about doing this podcast is like getting to talk to people like you and just building out this community of people who are doing this work in their everyday lives who have been so unsung. And Mm -hmm. I mean, we're talking about very similar philosophies and how we share ourselves with the world. And I think that like, more people need to know about this community of folks who are doing this and Mm -hmm. doing it from such like a heartfelt place. And it's my like absolute honor to host this podcast and like be able to hopefully build a platform for more folks like us to have these conversations because we do need to disrupt the like cisness and the and the heteroness and like <laughs> the white supremacy colonizer yes. stuff yes. of the world that is affecting our children and is affecting the next generation. And yeah. and I when I talk about education and kids, I'm not just talking about like education. I'm talking about representation. Like what you do, even if it's not like quote unquote, like big E education, like you're educating in every single piece of content you make, even if it's a TikTok like dance <laughs> meme, right? Like there's still education in there, even if it's, you know, packaged in like <laughs> in glitter and rainbows. Mm-hmm. And like that's I think what's beautiful about a lot of this, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. oh, that was my little rant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
This is like chicken soup for the soul right mm. now. Like I'm loving it. I'm mm-hmm. loving it. I'm loving it. Oh, on that note, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to be back with a listener question. Okay. <laughs> Okay, and we are back with Ebony, one-fifth of the Team Two Moms team. I love that you say one-fifth. That's great. Um, I was like, what half of Team Two Moms? I'm like, no, there are five of you. Um, but we're back with a listener question. Are you ready for this, Ebony? I am ready. Okay, so this listener is wondering, how do you balance your mental health and all of the stuff that comes with being a parent and an internet creator in your life? How do you deal with the mental health and self-care of it all. So, all right, let's, because I think that the two parts of this question, right, are mm-hmm. how do you deal with your mental health as a parent, but then also how do you deal with your mental health as a content creator? So mm-hmm. I think that those are, I don't know, I'm curious if those are like very different. They're actually not very different. They're actually very merged in a sense. Because how I deal with it is by prioritizing. Mm. And for me, what's the priority is the parenting first. Mm-hmm. Parenting and being a wife, and then social media. I will be very transparent and say, my wife be checking me. She she is definitely, we are like yin and yang. Mm. My energy is like, yeah, let's go, let's go. And she's like, mm, Ebony, let's think about this for a second. Mm-hmm. And so I love that balance between our personality because it does help me focus and keep what is the priorities, the priorities. And mm. so, um, like I said, for us, it's put family even before social media. In the beginning, when I first started, it was very hard. Mm. You know, you have like what I call like the upload high where you feel like you have to keep uploading your content. Mm. You have to stay consistent or, you know, they'll forget you or the algorithm won't be nice to you. Once I finally, and I will say that was very pretty recently, maybe about Mm. two years ago, and I've been doing this for about eight or nine years. Once I realized that I can slow down, I don't have to kill myself of keep uploading and creating content and to stop and and not look at life through the lens of a camera and to know when to put the camera down and that everything doesn't need to be recorded it has really truly improved and put like my mental health into such a better state Mm. once I was able to just really literally through the help of my wife um, and my family and just like you know, cut the two in a sense, it got a lot better. It gets better. Mm. <laughs> it got a lot, lot better. And now I'm like, do I feel like upload today? No, because mm. my daughter has drama today. So I have to help her with her lines for her drama club, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like stuff like that, where it's like, I have such a better hindsight of things and like mm. being in the moment of things and, and knowing when to create content. And even the way content has changed, mm. where content used to be really at one point, just all long format. And now we're shifting into this world where it's more so, you know, short form content even that has helped reduce in time. It's actually really good. I can create, you know, short form content and then be a parent for the rest of the day. You Mm. know what I mean? So like that has even helped as well. But to answer your question, it's just me prioritizing what's most important Mm -hmm. and then working my way down. And also realizing I even started off when we, you know, first joined, realizing that I'm just taking each day Mm. at a time. Yeah. And how does, I'm curious about like, 
does like taking time for yourself like factor into that? Like, especially if we're talking about like the day to day and like, I'm, I'm busy. I'm sure you're very busy, like figuring Mm -hmm. out how to take time for yourself in your schedule, especially Mm -hmm. as a parent. And then also kind of like taking time that's like offline and like being very purposeful about that. And Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm curious how that kind of like all factors in as well, like outside of like, capitalism self-care like getting Mm -hmm. away from like that notion of like taking care of your mental health I'm curious about like alone time and like off the grid time yeah I'm a very structural person I'm like very like agenda journaling type of planner person Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so I literally like I know like right now like my children at school right Mm -hmm. so this is my time to do things whether it's something I want to do something pertaining maybe some days it's for work Maybe mm-hmm. something just for me. Maybe some days it's me having wonderful conversations with people named Lynn. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's that. So it's like, you know, I, I kind of take each day at a time. I really mm-hmm. truly do and set forth like, what am I going to do? What's going to be what I do for myself this week? Mm-hmm. What is something that me and my wife is going to do together? Like now we do lunch dates. Mm. Now that the children is not home, now mm. we can do lunch dates. Like, yes, you know, the weekends is no content creation, mm. especially mm-hmm. on Sundays. No content is going on on that day. Like, we're very mm. intentional on when we film now, how much we film. You know, even if you look at the body of our work, you know, Olivia is not even as much in our content anymore. Mm. When we used to be, when we first started, we were Olivia has two moms. So it was Mm -hmm. always the perspective of Olivia having two moms. And now it's just about being moms or being in a relationship or women and having, you know, talking about something with our children. There's this balance. And again, I have a strong partner helps me maintain that balance. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I love the like little things that like couples and families come up with that like work for your family. Like I love the Mm -hmm. lunch date idea. Like my wife and I came up with um, together a part night during the pandemic. So like Mm -hmm. I can watch my action movies and she can watch her rom-coms. So like we'll be in like separate rooms and we'll like uh, pass each other at like the fridge for snacks. But like, but we have our separate time. Mm -hmm. Yep. But not every week looks the same or not every day Mm -hmm. looks the same. It's like I wake up and I'm like, okay, what is going to be for today? Mm -hmm. Apart from having a calendar with things on it, then I try to like weave in. Okay, these are my priorities. Like, you know, what am I going to do? Or Denise, she always falls asleep before me. Mm -hmm. So because she's knocked out, I know, okay, I have the TV to myself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do you think the content creation kind of forced you to think more purposefully about mental health too and like self-care? Yes. Yes. You know, being a content creator, I used to always feel like there's this unknown energy that just really tries to bring you down when you're on social media. Like Mm -hmm. I at one point I called it a curse. Like it's like the social media curse. Like you, you're doing great things, but like there's this take and give with it. And so because I always felt like that, I'm very intentional and you, you learn from other people's experiences as well. And a lot of other creators have been so vocal and has been so sharing of their journeys of the dark side of being Mm -hmm. on social media. So when you see those things, I use those as, and I'm, I'm, sure they're sharing it so that others can take something from it mm-hmm. and, and and maybe not have the same experience as them or or approach something differently and so 
because I'm a content creator, definitely there are more things that kind of make things more intentional. Like I have to put my mental health hurt. I have to do these things. If you don't shut off, this could happen mm-hmm. because you've seen this happen. Yep. So yeah, I'm very, very intentional and mindful of the world of being on social media. Yeah, I think that for me as well, the content creation and like the social media side of it really forced me to reckon with like the way in which I approach self-care and like mental health. And I think definitely for the better, but like it's been a very long journey <laughs> of figuring that out. But um, I'm like, I think I'm pretty happy with some of the mechanisms I have in place. I think you should be too. <laughs> Well, thank you for sharing all of that. Um, Plug away. Let us know where we can find you on the internet, what you're up to. Okay. Well, we are Team Two Moms on every platform but Twitter. (laughs) We are still Olivia has two moms on Twitter. Mm. You can find us on TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Um, But apart from that, that's really all my plugs right now. I ain't got no merch or anything going on right now. But (laughs) You know, Lynn, I really, you know, Denise and I say this all the time, like we really are just plain folks. Mm. And the only difference is that we hold a camera. I am not trained in therapy. I'm not trained in this. I'm not trained in that. I am literally navigating life each day. And just sometimes it involves holding a camera as I'm trying to navigate through it. Yeah. So, yeah, you can find us if you want to be a part of the family. You can find us on those. Beautiful. Thank you so, so much for joining me. And folks, uh, we're going to chat about some of Ebony's kids media recommendations over the Patreon. So come and check that out. We're about to have that conversation and join us over there. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Ebony. I so, so appreciate what a lovely conversation. Oh, but I have to give Lynn's a shout out. They are dope, okay? <laughs> dope. Energy and everything. They are dope. You are dope. Thank you. Well, thank you. <laughs> Oh, isn't Ebony just the loveliest? I am so, so glad we got to sit down for that conversation. Make sure you go and check out Team Two Moms. They've got a lot of awesome stuff over on their TikTok. They've also got their YouTube channel that's been up for ages and ages and ages. Follow them on all the social medias. They're just a, a real joy on the feed. So I highly recommend their stuff. As always, you can find me at Linz Amer, L-I-N-D-Z-A-M-E-R, on all of the social platforms. You can also go follow us at Queer Kids Stuff if you want to keep up with all the things that we're doing, shine up for our newsletter, and make sure you go check out the Queer Teachers Rock Conference. It's coming up on October 20th through 22nd, and sign up or let some of your teacher friends know, anyone who you know who's a queer and trans educator, please, please, please spread the word. We want people to know about this conference and to sign up and participate. All right. I think that's it for me today. Talk soon. Rainbow Parenting is hosted and created by me, Linz Amer. It's produced in partnership with Multitude and is edited by Misha Stanton. The theme music is by Amanda Darchangelis and the logo artwork is by Abe Tenzio.